Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have a new sponsor that actually makes sense because I like to drink and you guys do too. It's called Wink, W-I-N-C is how it's spelled, based on a quiz that you take on their website, which is really fun, asking you about your flavor profile, if you like blueberries, if you like your coffee black, if you like cream in it, what color shoes you have, what state you were born in, all of that stuff goes into it, and they will send you a box every month with new wines for you to try. You can skip any month, you can cancel any time, there's no membership fees. It's good for the people who don't have access to a good wine shop in their neighborhood. All of our listeners in Alaska and places like that are unable to really get some bomb-ass wines. All you have to do is go to trywinkwinc.com slash the stew. And when you do that, you'll get $20 off your first shipment of wine. You can be one of those people where you just come home from work because you hate your job and then there's a box at your door. And you think it's going to be like Amazon paper towels, but it's not. It's four bottles of wine that you're going to drink tonight. Try Wink. W-I-N-C dot com slash the stew. If you do that, even if you don't like it, even if you think it's dumb, just do it anyway and you will help support us. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show. We wanted to talk about a pop-up dinner that we are doing this week thursday march 22nd in los angeles so you still got time to plan for it so you still have time you can either go to my instagram page instagram slash them jeans and the the uh the poster flyer will be there or you can go to tiny.cc slash the stew brisket pop-up brisket so, so basically what we are doing is a pop-up dinner it's an intimate Small setting. It's going to be uh, just for the intimate home. yet fun. Intimate yet very fun. We relaxed, uh, casual party, if you will. It's going to be a party vibe. Um, we've got a our version of kind of like a Texas barbecue brisket cookout. I'm staying away from the word Texas, but I've heard it thrown around quite a bit. <laughs> I would say backyard barbecue. Our Back- version of backyard barbecue backyard, brisket. Backyard barbecue. Um, We've got, we'll, we'll have a bunch of cold beers and wines on ice for you to chug down as much as you can handle. Chill down brew dogs. If you have, uh, if you fancy yourself a wine connoisseur, you want to bring in some fancy bottles to show off to us, we will also welcome those. Crushed grapes. We have uh, the, the menu. We should just go through the menu so they can hear everything. Mm-hmm. When you walk in, we're going to have a build, Chick-fil-A. Build your own. Uh, Build your own Frito pie. If you don't know what a Frito pie is, you should Google it. It's a uh, it's a Texas staple <laughs> where you uh, and we're kind of doing our own twist on it. And we are making uh, the chili mm-hmm. that you pour over the Fritos for this classic Texas dish made out of uh, lamb from Standings Butcher. Yep, former guest. Former guest, uh, one of our biggest episodes with Jared on there. So we're getting some lamb from him. So it's going to be very nice, expensive, fancy, delicious lamb that's grass-fed and all that stuff probably. 
Mm-hmm. We're making Andre's making a, a, a chili out of it, and I've had it. It's very good. It's going to be with all the fixins that you would normally get on a chili situation. Uh, we've got coleslaw that's going to be very fancy looking. It's going to have fennel in it, and there's going to be pecans, and I'm I'm toasting some oil and some onions and garlic, and it's going to be it's going to be great. I'm doing my classic Stewart family baked bean recipe, but it's also going to be elevated for you guys as well. It's going to have a lot of bacony, smoky flavors, cooked down, slow roasted all day <laughs> in Hollywood, California. Andre's doing his famous brisket, not in the style of Texas at all. We don't even know what Texas is, but nope. it's been brining. It's been brining all week. We're going to be sous viding it. We're going to be smoking it. He's lacquering it. There's molasses. There's there's brushes. There's dry rubs, wet rubs, medium rubs. It's all there. Um, and then we're uh, another. F- past guest of ours, Nicole Rucker, who's arguably maybe the best pie maker in the country right now. Some have said, I would agree. Some have said, um, and her very, very famous buttermilk pie will be served for dessert because it seems like the perfect ending to a perfect meal. Uh, And thank you for Nicole for giving us those pies. They're very expensive. She's getting us a little friends and family discount. Mm -hmm. And brisket is very expensive to make, so... You know, we appreciate you guys coming out and attending. This is a great way to meet other Stu listeners, make some new friends. At the very least, just hang out and get drunk with us. It's one of those pop-up tasting menus that you will definitely not leave hungry. No. You won't need to go to In-N-Out drive through on the way home. No, this is not. There will be lots of food. So we appreciate you guys supporting us. So uh, so please either go to my Instagram, check it out. You can go to thestewpodcast.com. Our website will have the link up there. And uh, we hope to see you guys out. If you have any questions, concerns, just hit me in the DMs. Are you, you're charging 10 bucks a photo? You're taking a photo with anybody there <laughs> for a $10 want, surcharge? There will be a step and repeat. You can do a meet and greet with me and Andre. You know, one, you can ask us one question. We'll sign your, your book, whatever, if you don't want to sign a DVD. Yeah, you got a zine they could sign. We can sign. Ooh, sold out, baby. Um, yeah, if you just want to take a picture with me, it'll be 100 bucks, No problem. Boom. Boom. Uh, thank you guys for listening and enjoy this episode of The Sue with, uh, with Angela. She's fucking amazing. Yeah, this is a good one. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are those dance, how are those dance goes smelling right now? I don't know how they're smelling currently, but I think they're pretty aired out because mm-hmm. I've been trying to flip-flop and wear different, different shoes. Um, like literally wear flip-flops out. or you're doing a no, flip-flop on the dance go? Flip-flop on the dance go. Switching it up. <laughs> That's my new record. I don't have flip-flop. flip-flop on the dance go. Yeah, I don't have flip-flops. I've not, I've not been a flip-flop gal. No flip-flops at all? I can't. It's hard in New York. You're so close to the ground if you do it. And yeah, it's not a good. It's not a flippy. Splashy. Time. He gets splashy. Splashy <laughs> and splashy in New York is trash water. It's not like Hawaiian natural. It's yeah, rat barf. Nice. Yeah, it's rat barf. Rat barf all rat over your barf, feet. Fish guts. Uh huh. <laughs> garbage juice. Used condoms. Everybody's Everything. favorites. Unused yeah. condoms. Unused condoms. You're listening yeah. to the stew. I'm Jason Stewart. Andre Conaparo. Say hello. This is our condom podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about the streets of NYC and all the stuff that could get on your feet if you wore flip-flops, which you don't. I cannot. Uh, we have a special guest, Angela Dima Yuga. Great. Great. 
Good wow. job. That's a name that I've never said out loud before. I'll let you step on that landmine. Dima Yuga. <laughs> I like the way you say it. It's, for me, I try to get people to feel comfortable around it by telling them that it's phonetic. But mm-hmm. you just did that, so I didn't even need to give I you... I phoneticized it. Yeah, it's He's perfect. a pro. That's a Filip- Filipino name. Yeah, it is. Um, but I found out recently it actually has Mexican origin, which hmm. is interesting. Interesante. Yeah. But I mean, I guess there's a lot of Spanish-Filipino crossover, Spanish right? specifically, and I found out recently that there has been some Mexican influence with ingredients, uh, but specifically looking... Um, into trade routes. There's a trade route from Mexico to the Philippines. Really? Um, that makes a lot of sense. That I mean, t- historically, the trade routes affect so much cross-cultural yeah. kind of integration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I found out the region that my mother's from, it's called Pampanga. I asked her which area of Pampanga, because it's quite big, and it's called Mexico. She was like Mexico City. <laughs> it's called Mexico Pampanga in the Philippines. It's what? kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I have wild. to do a lot more research. This is all that I know. I just gave you everything that mm. I know about any linkage. I mean, I guess like it's a good start. Like <laughs> like Cisig is. I, I feel like that's just like carnitas, basically. Yeah, chopped up on a sizzling platter. There's a lot of crossover. It's so good. That's my fave, probably. It's rich. He cooks it's Filipino rich. food. It's rich. You what? He cooks Filipino food. He's a big Filipino food head. Oh. Great. Not as big as I used to be. My ex-girlfriend is Filipino. Yeah, it, it's it's something that, yeah, if you're dating someone that's Filipino, they to show you that they love you, they cook it for you at home. Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, in I think in L.A., I've just been hearing about uh, the Filipino food scene here, and it's pretty fat, like fatter than in New York City, I think. But I I'm really so. trying to research more, and recently been really just trying to meet as many Filipinos as I can in New York because I realized in my 11 years being there, I don't, I haven't known that many, which is, right. I'm doing something wrong there. So I'm now I'm seeking it out. <laughs> so all you Filipinos out there in New York or wherever, mm-hmm. looking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> looking for a friend. Uh, yeah, I guess looking there's not, there's friend. definitely not as many as there are in California. I mean, you're Yeah, I'm from like, San Jose. San Jose is a like lot of hella, hella Filipinos. I grew yeah, up in that, Santa Cruz. You did? Yeah. yeah, so in my high school... We were probably one of the bigger quote unquote minorities. Yeah. So I, I, I was actually by default, this somehow happened, but I became president of the Filipino club in oh, high yeah. school. Filipino Student Association? Exactly. <laughs> and it was the, big, it's the it biggest well. club in, in my high school. FSA. FSA. I had friends. Everyone in, knows here. Well, no, well, <laughs> in my, I didn't know that. So I grew up in Santa Cruz, but I went to high school in Santa Clara. And I had some yeah. Filipino friends, and in high school, I mean, I didn't know anybody before I went to high school and met them that was Filipino, and so they, I learned a little bit of their food, and yeah. like, it, you know, and yeah, they were all in the FSA, and it was like, it was a pretty, like, re- like decent-sized community, yeah. and decent-sized... You didn't pick up the, you didn't pick up the dance, though, did you? Did not. <laughs> dance is there, Dan, they're very, uh, I feel like with the Filipinos that I knew in high school and in San Jose, they're all very talented in like sort of the entertainment industry i wasn't that i was not personally (laughs) but people you know i met i knew a lot of like break dancers and djs and hip-hop dancers and smash it at karaoke really good at karaoke big in the graph game big in the graph game (laughs) so they're really into this uh cool like counterculture in or like subculture in um the bay area where i was thinking a lot about it now like as an adult living in new york and you know not having as many filipino friends 
like out there feeling mm-hmm. alone. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I realized that like all the music that I liked as a kid listening to like 106 KML oh, was yeah. really like I gravitated towards a lot of like black culture and like hip hop and R&B because... Shout out to Hieroglyphics crew. Exactly. <laughs> like I knew about all those things. I knew about Wu-Tang as a kid because I realized that, you know, with the binary of um, race in like the Bay Area, for example, like where I saw... Um, you know, like in media or in music or in movies, it was a binary. And so I didn't really see people like me so much out there doing that. Right. There was a bit of Filipino uh, culture, uh, people making music um, that, you know, was being played in the Bay Area, like um, free st- Filipino freestyle, which mm-hmm. was kind of cool. But I, I realized I gravitated towards all of that because of that binary and then latched on to as much as I could of like the small more commercialized music that was being sure. played in the Bay Area. Like, and that, that Filipino culture is also really representative, I mean, of course, because of the area, but it's also very NorCal. And that's, yeah, that makes, very NorCal. That makes sense to someone who grew up there or at least lived there long enough, but it's like yeah. a very NorCal vibe. It is. Yeah. I, my anecdote about introduction to, I mean, a very light introduction to Filipino culture was in science class, like, sophomore freshman year i was like hey what's up with those egg rolls he was like hey they're called lumpia you want one and i was like yeah <laughs> and then he would say so, he would like his mom would make lumpia in the morning and he would a couple times a week and he would bring it to school and he would give me one and i was like this is the best egg roll i've ever had he's like yeah it's called lumpia it's not called an egg roll I was like, like, don't get twisted all right cool cool <laughs> well, i'm gonna keep calling it lumpia if you keep giving me some <laughs> like it's just like they're so good same. And that and that was like yeah that was my first introduction to Filipino. What, what's the nice. what are the what are the Filipino NorCal restaurant recommendations I, coming I, from you? I don't know. I really don't. I don't know. I like go back home and I'm and I'm eating my family's cooking. Mm-hmm. There are, there's a lot. I I, I I wish I had the answer for you, but I know there's a lot it's of usually mom and never, pops. It's never as good as just at the crib though. Yeah, I mean, there's some good ones, but I just don't know what they all are, and I'll request to have some sometimes, and my mom will bring me... There's a lot of, like, strip mall, mom-and-pop-owned places that are, like, hot... They're kind of like little lunch counters. Hot tray kind of... Yeah, you just point um, at Point at the slop. I want it on some rice. I'll take that whole fried fish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So there's there's some, but Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not tuned in to... What, what's around. Um, I think when people think about, too, the Bay Area, they think of, like, Oakland or San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But San Jose in that area, a little yeah. south of, yeah. of San Francisco, has an incredible, like, very big Filipino, huge mm-hmm. Vietnamese. Yeah. Like, it's, it's also that area specifically where you grew up is different than, I think, a the broader idea of Northern California or the normal assumption. Yeah, definitely. I, like, the high school that I went to and the part of San Jose that I lived in was predominantly um, Filipino. Mexican and Vietnamese, mm-hmm. so that means like I was a kid. The trifecta of banging food in yeah, Northern really California. Yeah, food. I, I would cl- I would steal change from my parents and and get a stack of like four quarters, and I was able to buy banh mi at like, right. yeah. in the six. Like you know, I was like seven or eight, and like get hungry and smash up on me, mm. and then you know feel really lucky that I had that. Yeah, like, moving to New York and it's difficult to get a banh mi in bed stay. <laughs> there's a really there's an interesting story yeah. too uh I'm, and I'm gonna paraphrase it so this is awful but on this american life but i think san jose elected the first vietnamese female mayor in the country oh 
That or it was, a, it was a Why very not? high local government position. And, and it was like, you know, just that, that's that area. Yeah. It's really diverse. San Jose's cool. pushing it forward, baby. Yeah. Shout out San Jose. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> have you, now that you, sure. yeah. now that you've left San Jose and done the whole cooking thing in the big yeah. city of New York, have, yep. have you tried, when you go back home for like holidays and stuff like that, do you, are you like trying to change the way your parents eat or are you trying to like influence them at all or like they like it when I cook for them um but my actually I come from a huge family I have five siblings and six nieces and nephews and mm-hmm. all of them are real I mean my all my siblings are really great cooks so they kind of have flair moves and kind yeah. of try to impress each other what kind um, of flair are we talking about like my sister will They're all know they they have sous vides. It's insane. Hell yeah. So I kind of take the back seat and they make menus for our family parties and they're often very diverse. It's Filipino food and food from a bunch of different countries that they're interested in. Damn. And the, then, these family parties, they're open to everyone that just wants to hang out, right? You can come. Yeah. The whole hood's invited. Yeah. They, I mean, our family's so big, it's like if we try to eat out, we try to get a reservation for 17, yeah. which is so rude. Yeah. But that's the way that we're like, we you have, have to, to go to like no Chinese, Chinese, like, like Chinese banquet eating. Yeah. Kind somewhere of style. with like an outdoor, sometimes there are dogs involved. So right. then we have to ask for outside. Seating. You have my attention. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So our family's big now. Um, but yeah, everyone's an amazing cook. My sister, you know, I had learned as a line cook years ago about the Joel Robuchon potato recipe, which basically means equal weight. Of potato and butter. Yeah. And, you For know, like a mashed potato. Mashed potato. Okay. And, you know, knowing that that's super French and that's something that I had to learn. And it gets pushed to the chinois and all that, right? Yeah. And or a rice. I like go home. A ricer. Yeah. Like potato very technique ricer. driven yeah. and really fatty. And I go home one win- like for the holidays, one, uh, one December, and my sister's talking about how she's going to make the Joel Robuchon potatoes. and That's tight. She's cool. Yeah, they they do their research and then they they got your apartment bugged. No, they're they're, <laughs> they're on their own. Tip. They're listening. They're listening. And now they she the next year she made beef Wellington for the holidays. Damn. And, you know, with the leaves and like egg wash on it and everything. Yeah, that's not an easy dish. Perfect temp in the middle and. That's the hardest thing about it. To yeah. get the pastry cooked off perfectly and still have a really nice medium rare, right? So she built the whole thing, and then she was afraid to cook it, so I, I agreed to throw it in the oven and time it and pull it out. Yeah. And it was just really funny because when I pulled it out, of course, everyone was screaming because it was so beautiful. Yeah. And she was annoyed because I was getting the credit. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I didn't make this, actually. I just cooked it for her, and, and she And then you winked at everybody, and you're like, I cooked it. I, I threw it in the oven. I <laughs> but, so we share. That's cool. Do you feel like that has, did that exist, that kind of environment in your family, cooking and food and, as a kid? Yeah. Or is that like more something that's developed as just contemporary food culture, home cooking's kind of evolved? No, we, I mean, we were always that way and always curious. And, you know, I remember my older brother looking through recipe books and teaching me different um, recipes so from regional cool. Filipino food that I didn't grow up around, right. like a, a variation of an adobo recipe that I still make today that... You know, adobo, I feel like, is one of those, um, you know, it has so few ingredients, kind of like certain Italian dishes, mm-hmm. where it's like, all you need is chicken, soy sauce, vinegar, black peppercorn, and bay leaf, right. and garlic, and that's it. And, you know, he taught me when I was a kid that he found an old Filipino 70s cookbook, like a yellowed paperback. He read about a variation 
which meant just adding red pepper and like a red pepper flake is what we had at home um, and a can of coconut milk. And it just changes the game so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. So mm. we were doing, you know, people were just in my family were just doing the research. And then as food media became more popularized, they got more, they were doing the research and interested in like Food Network. And then, you know, now reading up on recipes that they can find on the internet. You know, my little, I came home one winter and my little brother was making an avocado, a whole avocado recipe that one of my really close friends in New York City who has like had a great restaurant called El Rey, he was making this really great brunchy food. And he had a, a really specific dish that became popular for called avocado del sur, which was like a, like a whole slice avocado with pickled onion and like, uh, like an herb sauce. He he read about that recipe and made it. And I was like, how the hell do you know about what my friend from down the street is doing? It, it's because they're curious and I've we have similar taste. I've had that at El Rey. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, it's bomb. And with like a homemade flatbread. And it was so crazy because he knew about it. He knew about the new like beach towel my friend was making and asked for the beach <laughs> towel. And I was like, he's like, can you buy me one? I'm like, I'll just get you one. And how the hell do you know about that? <laughs> that is a weird confluence was, of your family and, that is know. so Far. separated by land and kind of lifestyle yeah. and every. Well, I don't know about lifestyle. I mean, that's the wrong word. But like, just to have that, yeah. somebody close to you in be your own life, and then your family's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah I'm doing it. It's a yeah. cool I'm doing this recipe. It feels good. So you know, because early on when I was a like in high school, I definitely felt like a weirdo, knowing that I wanted to be a chef ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. and to continue making those choices to do that felt just like a choice that I barely needed to think about. I didn't have to really go through the ringer about like, well, what am I going to do when I grow up or like, what do I want to study in college? And so that felt like in a way, almost like a little, like a, a tinge of like, I'm just like self-awareness, like self-awareness. And I felt lucky that I knew. Um, but, you know, knowing that, you know, when my, my parents knew that that lifestyle isn't easy. And so they would kind of tell me, are you sure you don't want to study this and that just to make sure you're all right? And um, they kind of just let me do my thing, and I've just found my path to, like, figure out, like, how to make that okay for me. And then, you know, doing it my way, um, I, I felt, like, validated in that they actually care about the craft that I'm doing in the creative, specifically the creative space of it, not necessarily, like, the money-making aspect or, like, the successes or, like, you know, me, like any media that I'm in, but specifically they know that I'm a creative person and then I'm able to really uh, play with that within my little food hub. And yeah. they get that, which I think is really... Well, that's, that's kind of the beauty of food because I've experienced the same thing. Like, I'm sure like when you're growing up and like into like punk rock and weirdo yeah. shit yeah. and all that, like your parents are like, I don't know what like, this what is doing? and it's weird, yeah. but like they can look at food you make and understand yeah. how that will taste and you can bond over that and be like, yeah. oh, I found this cool recipe or whatever. Yeah. My mom's never going to be like, I found this sick seven-inch. Yeah. Do you want to listen to, like, did you hear that blah, blah, blah has having an art right. show or like any of that stuff, they're, they can't really relate to it, but food, oh, everyone can. Yeah. Also, it seems like, <clears throat> and Instagram helps. Yeah. If, I mean, if your family's on the gram. My mom, I think my mom signed up just to see what I'm up to, which I'm totally fine with. 
<laughs> She's snooping. She's snooping. I like it. That's mom. You'll know yeah. that it's real snooping when your mom makes an account for the dog, like a fake one mm-hmm. for the dog, but then that account is the one that's looking at all your stories. Mom's Finsta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she doesn't mom have one started yet. the Finsta. Oh damn. <laughs> Do you, this, he's not You're... even on Instagram, so he. This is a world that he doesn't know about. Yeah, I learn about it all. Job, I learn about bro. new things all the time. <laughs> yeah, there's Instagram, and then there's Finstagram, which is a private. Instagram account that only you have like for your close friends where you kind of post your other stuff. Is that a different platform? No, no. it's, it's all name? it's Is all on Instagram. That's just like a nickname for Nick, it. Yeah, a nickname for yeah. it. So that's like where you'll you'll post your ugly photos, your yeah. memes, maybe your offensive stuff that you don't want the yeah. other world to see, making fun of other people, things like that. Nudity. So it's the dark web. Kind of. Kind of it's yeah. the dark web of Instagram. The dark gram. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> Sounds horrible. So, uh, <laughs> so now that how how long has it been since you've been out of out of working in restaurants full time? Uh, it's been how long have you been freelance for? Freelance for about three four months. Mm-hmm. That's pretty substantial. Yeah. Um, it's different, and I think about my work completely different. I think about the economics of it different. I think about um, how I want to hire staff for specific events differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, we it's should, a hustle. We should also the, get a background too. Sure, yeah, you've let's do some, a background. You've done. You've worked at some incredible places that I have eaten at. Oh, cool. That I loved. Cool. Um, yeah. So and my I, parents loved as well. Really? Yeah, my Very parents cool. love Mission Chinese. My mom's even willing to like brave some hot because she yeah. thinks she usually can't eat spicy, and there she feels like the food was so good that she's like, well, okay, it might I'll hurt, but I'm going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, so I started cooking professionally in New York City. Um, I moved there 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. and started cooking right away. Um, and it was fun because I kind of just moved into the food world in the most organic way. Um, I knew how, because I was just kind of just following recommendations and, Never really had to write a food resume. I just really wanted to work. Are you staging or getting jobs right away? Or? I was just getting jobs right away because I, like the first job I got was at this small cafe that doesn't exist anymore in Bedstay, And I was really into it because there was a female chef running it. It was her first time business. And she did um, a different food hustle that I knew that like, I could do if I ever needed to down the line. Meaning like she, small cafe, like small... Well, she earned her money doing um, private catering for families mm-hmm. like in Manhattan, like Upper East Side, Upper West Side. Saved up a bunch of money, opened up this tiny cafe that was actually really creative and delicious and healthy and uh, fun to work at. The vibe was cool. Like this is over 10 years ago in bed A non-toxic kitchen. It was fun, a yeah. A non-toxic back fun. in the house. It was crazy. Where everybody was nice. Yeah. Everyone was nice and... She was working her ass off, and mm-hmm. you could tell she really cared because it was her pennies that she saved in order to do this. And I just walked in there to use their internet um, like a month after I moved to New York and was browsing Craigslist, and I was like looking around, and I was like, oh, I wanted to browse the internet here. Maybe they'll have like a temporary job for me. So I ended up working for her, but you know, we mentioned a, a bit ago off, off the air that um, people were uh, being really entrepreneurial with their little food ideas, like mm-hmm. making hand pies out of their apartment. Yeah. And I was hearing about um, the DOH shutting them down 
um, and that you need to really cook out of a commercial kitchen if you wanted to do a little side hustle. Mm-hmm. I started. I ended up starting a catering business um, right when I got to New York with a woman that just gave me a chance that was a career changer. Uh, she worked for MTV Forever, went to the Natural Gourmet Culinary School, and I ended up meeting her from the neighborhood, and she asked if I wanted to start a small catering business. And so what was really great is that Lady Chef, would, that was the owner, would let me and her... Um, cook out of um, the kitchen when the right. cafe closed. Incredible. So I was just like going hard for fun because then I was making uh, food that she wanted me to according to her recipes in the daytime and then um, at night I'd be making weird catering gig bites like out <laughs> of the space. Never not working. Some, yeah. Some weirdo bites. Weirdo bites or also <laughs> like things that I thought were classics that I needed to learn, uh-huh. like devils on a horseback, like uh, mm-hmm. like dates stuffed with blue cheese wrapped in bacon. I'm like, I need to know what that is and, <laughs> yeah. and make that for people. And classics what are is delicious. Crudite and what is good crudite or what is using vegetables and cupcakes and serving them to people like butternut squash and like sage cupcakes or messing around with making cupcakes that had matcha from, you know, this was like 10, 11 years ago and I was just thinking, trying to think outside the box. But it was really great because like, I was doing both of those things. And then in the middle, um, at work, uh, after I'd finished my daytime regular job at um, the cafe, uh, I would get to play around with um, making in-house baked goods because she saw me as someone that would want to mess around with recipes. So then I was making weird shortbread with lavender and these like weird flavored scones. It was really basic, but it was good. And then started working at Vinegar Hill House after that which was a lot more serious. Um, the, I, worked, I worked for another female chef that uh, opened up Freeman's, and mm-hmm. she was really badass and taught me the ropes, and I worked there for three years, and I uh, view her as my chief mentor through like my early years. Wow. Because um, she just let me do my thing, and I got to work uh, cooking with live fire there um, and work with a lot of young entrepreneurial Brooklyn um, heads, people like Chris Parikini from Roberta's, who started Roberta's. His mo- mother's name is Roberta. Uh, Andrew Fields, who did Rockaway Taco and all the Rockaway um, mm. development. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Brent Young at, at the Meat Hook. Um, mm. It was just a lot of like all the bros, all the bros that were like letting me be their boss because I was the one that was there five days a week, and they kind of right. would cameo for fun and teach me how to be confident, and I wasn't telling anyone my age when I was working there. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, 21, running the line, and... <laughs> but even... And, wow. Yeah. Which is crazy, but even, like... So, we, you know, we talked to a lot of chefs, and the probably the main, the main complaint we get about staffing back at the house is that anybody that comes in these days from day one wants to make their own personal mark. Yeah, it's different. In as opposed to having at least a mix of willingness to start at the bottom yeah. and be quiet yeah. and observe and learn and then kind of move forward. They kind yeah. of like hit the ground running from this media saturated mm-hmm. competitive television show culture yeah. where they feel like the only way to be different is to suddenly like disrupt incredibly mm-hmm. for, without knowing anything. Yeah. And it sounded like at your age, 
you, you had the curiosity and the enthusiasm to be innovative, but yeah. also kind of the self-awareness of I also need to learn mm-hmm. and, and will, you know. Like, Gotta get the fundamentals down. Yeah, yeah. you had, like, the, it sounds like you had that excitement, that curiosity, but also even at that young age, the maturity to realize that you also needed to learn. And that mix from what I'm hearing from chefs at not being one is that that's really rare to find and even yeah. rare nowadays. A dying breed. And I don't know, now yeah. you're probably, able, at this point in your career, you're able to reflect on people that you've had to hire in oh, staff. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't know if you agree or no, not. No, I, I totally agree. It's very, I, I appreciate that you're aware of that, like being a non-food industry person, because that's definitely, yeah. um, you know, that's the changes that I've seen um, in the last 10, 11 years. And I definitely feel like um, different in my route of cooking because it's not like I worked for like Daniel Balud or Wiley Dufresne and I can just have that as a badge of honor. I kind of just figured it out on my own and learned from these people that were just trying to run their own businesses but then helping out their friends. So it felt very like fam based Mm -hmm. and hey, let's hook each other up and if you want to learn how to make pizza on the weekends, like let's talk about that on your like sixth day or your seventh day, like on your days off maybe. Um, and I would be curious. Uh, but also right away when I started working for Jean Adamson at Vinegar Hill, she told me about her path and that meant I didn't, she, for her she said, I didn't want to open up my own business until I'd worked 10 years in the industry. Right. And I always just clock that and file that as a, okay, 10 years, that's, that's the way that I should view this as an apprentice. So Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour shit. Yeah, exactly. And I just clocked it as, okay, if she's able to open up her own business in this time frame, and that's what she did for herself, I'm just going to note that and know that, um, you know, creatively, I don't even want to try to get involved into being innovative here at Vinegar Hill or even in my first year at, uh, maybe in my first nine months as a chef at Mission to say like, oh, I'm a whiz. Like, this is how I put things together. Um, it really had to grow through humility and like discipline. And mm-hmm. I knew that because I've seen that the chefs that I worked for had to do that um, in their generation. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do because I saw that's how they felt confident for one. Mm-hmm. And I never, you know, it, like I think I made one mistake early on when my like the second chef that I worked for at Vinegar Hill, he made a compound butter and it was like a garlic compound butter for a steak. And then the next day uh, I had to make that compound butter again when I was running the line. And it, I was like, maybe it needs parsley. And I threw it in there. And then when I came back, he was like, no, you're supposed to, you're supposed <laughs> to do the dish that I showed you. I don't really need you to flip, make, like, make this look better. I intentionally didn't have parsley. And I was like, oh, so I'm just going to, do my own thing later and was okay with that. But mm-hmm. it's like these things had to happen to me once and I had to learn the hard way. And that was very much this um, type of thinking that was kind of old school, but also not from these like chefs that worked 20 years in the industry. It was like chefs that had worked 10 years in New York City. And I'd already felt like things were bubbling to change. And I see that same feeling of bubbling in some big change that's going to happen in the food world right now as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like it goes through phases now that I've kind of been in it and then heard from people like Jean who had been in the industry long, who has been in the industry longer than me, that there's just these moments. And I think they're cultural shifts, not necessarily uh, unique to the food industry where 
people are getting pissed off and then have, creating change. And I think that's sort of what's happening now. And I think that's why I am where I am now, where after working in restaurant kitchens for this many years, kind of taking a break to just have some new perspective and work freelance and struggle in a different way and then figure out where I'm going to go next. And yeah, it's like a different, I was kind of in between. And, you know, I had at, at Mission Chinese, I had kids that were, you know, exposed to the saturation of um, creativity and food too, where people had food trucks and um, food media is completely different and had vice munchies around. And I think it's, there's, Good things and bad things, but I think what we're looking at is it's going to have to be done a different way because no one really wants to stand in line for two hours, really, to no. just try this like not at all chunk of chicken or <laughs> right out of a paper bow. Like, sure, I get like why that's happening right now, but that's not gonna that that I don't think that's the future. I think that's we're getting towards something else right now. So I'm really excited about the next phase. And I think I'm trying to think really theoretically and critically about the work that I do, uh, just because I've, you know, grown to be disenchanted with some of the politics within the industry or the faces that we see are the same faces. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to like figure out a way to make that sustainable for myself now through doing different food events. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's hard work, but it's really fun and satisfying. I mean, I'm here in L.A. right now. Yeah, you get to art- come to L.A. Yeah. and do... Like, I'm at doing an artist residency at 356 Mission through Ooga Booga, but how am I able to be in that space? I think it's just because I'm looking... I'm trying to look outside of my world a little bit and interact with those people as a participant, and that's fun for me right now. Oh. What can you and what what exactly are you doing? Because it, I saw I saw the flyer and it has a very cute cabbage <laughs> dog thing. Yeah, I'm calling him Cabbage the Dog. Um, on Sunday, have you seen this? No, <laughs> I'll show it to you. I'll show you. It looks amazing. <laughs> so um, I got asked to do this residency, and Wendy from Ooga Booga told me that I could do whatever I want, and I you know I can do like the ten course dinner at a gallery, um, and I thought that I might do that. <clears throat> but um, I decided to do a kids' workshop because I don't normally work fantastic. with kids. <laughs> yeah, if you look at her Instagram, it's it's on there right now. It's a cool thing. So it's our flyer, yeah. So we're looking at the flyer, and it's <laughs> this image that we pulled from Google. Um, I'm working um, with, I'm collaborating with my friend Jennifer Shear, who's a visual artist, and um, we're we're gonna be exploring food through a workshop with kids, um, where we're looking at food not just as like tasty fuel, but um, something that could be viewed as sculptural and visual. So mm-hmm. we're making um, little rice balls, and the kids are getting to deal, like touch rice and decorate the rice, um, kind of like in a bento, like really cute bento style mm-hmm. um, for to celebrate the year of the dog. Lunar New Year just happened. Um, my collaborator is also Asian-American identifying, and she's Taiwanese. And so um, we just wanted to incorporate all the things that we have fun um, eating together and, and doing together. We've made these bentos for uh, this um, fashion line in um, New York City called CFGNY, and it's kind of more art-focused. They show their work at 47 Canal at an art gallery, and they don't, they're do not they not really like a fashion label. It's more conceptual. And CFGNY stands for Clothes for Gays New York. And we talked about <laughs> the power of cuteness, how Great kawaii name. and like 
cute is like we use the word cute a lot, but I think that we use it um, frivolously with purpose and deliberate, like for deliberate reason. But there's so much, it, cuteness is actually really powerful. It really breaks down these barriers of, it, it makes someone, it can make, like something cute can make someone really serious and stern from a different walk of life, like crack a smile. And we mm-hmm. can both see a puppy on the street if we have different political values and like, mm-hmm. be, and like want to touch that dog. And um, so that, <laughs> like as a theory, is something that I think we can view as like cute food as well. Like, yeah. and, and So food is, is it safe to say cute is now going to be the sixth Sense after umami? (laughs) (laughs) Let's say that it is for the workshop. We'll see how this transpires, but sure. So we were just like, we we love that idea. And then we did that for these adults at this art gallery, this like pretty serious art gallery. And then uh, we decided to come together because she just moved um, from Oakland and I wanted her to be um, involved in the immediate community. I love what they do at 356 Mission. So we're going to do this workshop together for 50 kids uh, and make these sculptures as well with food for fun so that the kids can take photos with the cabbage-shaped dog and paste it into their zines. So she makes, my friend Jennifer makes uh, zines, so we also want to explore documentation through zine making, and mm-hmm. they get to take home a little recipe and images of uh, really cute rice balls and then paste their <laughs> picture with their arm wrapped around Cabbage the Dog at 356 Mission. And then I'm going to have food for everyone, like congee right. and savory soy milk, so everyone can participate in snacking and some fruit sculptures. I don't have it's a kid. Can I still come? Yeah, yeah. I've been telling people that they should just come anyway. I mean, the workshop's going to be happening and it's going right. to be chaotic, but it's really cool because the uh, coincidentally at the gallery they have uh, kid-friendly um, exhibits up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Charlemagne, uh, Palestine in the bigger room, like the huge warehouse space, um, has this huge um, sculptural exhibit uh, with like thousands of stuffed animals um, made into really cool sculptures. And then downstairs in the smaller gallery, Alake Schilling, who I have yet to meet, but I love her work, a younger artist, um, did a lot of sculptures. That's kind of like Lisa Frank-inspired, psychedelic, smudgy uh, cement sculptures of weird like, psycho frogs and creatures <laughs> like yeah like like very very weird melty looking psycho frogs yeah so that's downstairs <clears throat> but all of this i think is kid friendly and adult friendly yeah so i want people to hang in the space and then see these rice balls that these kids made and hang they're, they're allowed to hang out with cabbage and dog too <laughs> yeah but it's it's, it's interesting because i never really thought about cute in the context of what you're talking about it or or how much kind of baggage comes with it, but it's it's a really great way to disarm people of yeah. their ego or their whatever preconceived stuff they're bringing with them to something that you know when you're mixing with strangers and it involves art and food and it, it can be a lot for people to kind of figure out a way to identify themselves mm-hmm. or see themselves in a room of strangers. Do I need to prove that I know something? Do I need to say something? You know, yeah. and the second that you kind of see that that you know, cabbage the dog instant. You're like, okay, it's going to be fun. I can probably relax and actually yeah. open myself up to getting to know people I've never met before as yeah. opposed to trying to kind of, you know. Yeah, it's like picking out which Sanrio character you identify with. Yes. Most. Sure. Oh, that's, I'm so glad you brought that I'm up. I'm a Bad Bats Maru, obviously. Oh, you seem like God. a Bad Bats Maru. <laughs> God damn it. I'm, a, I'm personally a Pachaco fan. Oh, okay. And I've, Classic. I've, I love that you brought this up because I've been really interested in um, uh, like these, these cute characters that we know 
um, you know, through marketing and through like toys. Mm -hmm. But if you look them up, they all have Wikipedia articles about what their personalities are like. So Pachaco wears a jersey sometimes and has his little penguin friend, but that's his buddy and there's a name and they have a specific relationship and they talk about how Pachaco loves basketball and loves banana ice cream. It's like people like there's <laughs> a lot of all NorCal. This is so yeah, this is this all is NorCal right San here. Rio at the mall. Yeah. But, like, also Pokemon, there's, like, you can identify with a Pokemon. Like, I do a thing where I identify with maybe a specific Sex in the City character or a I have no idea girl. what you're talking about. It's, it's, Jason I, does this shit all the time. You do? <laughs> whether he's a Samantha or whether yeah, he's a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I like to associate it with astrology where I'm, like, thinking about my rising and my moon. Mm-hmm. So you, there's a lot out there that you can so really make it specific. Samantha rising... But you're on the you're on a Pachaco cusp. No, you, I, I like to do this astrology within. Where's your Squirtle contact. Moon in this conversation? <laughs> I don't have a Squirtle Moon. I don't think. I'm a wait. So I think squirtle I'm a moon. Meowth. If we're talking about Pokemon, yeah. Meowth's son. He's the only Pokemon that speaks English, but he speaks it with a Brooklyn accent. Okay. But he's like a he goes out at night and yeah. likes to hang at night and. Mm-hmm. He sounds know. like a fun dude. Yeah, he's a fun guy. A little bit of a heroin problem, but yeah, it's cool. I mean, like, yeah. It's fine. We all have our vices. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that kind of you, using, using <laughs> cuteness to get into the food helps also. It's also in the world of like art and fashion and food, the way you kind of bring all of that together. And then having like fashion companies and art galleries yeah. wanting you to do food for it because you're making it look more visual. Visually. And, and I'm into just, I've, I've found that I like to work. Uh, with collaborators because you often make something you would never concept individually or I kind of work well with like, okay, if it's super creative and they're down to have me go over the top, but if there's like a, a, a like a theme, I'm really into themes and I can paint myself into a corner and really go deep with that theme. It's like, easier when they're like, just do you and go like give you a blank canvas and you, it can be kind of weird, but yeah. if like... There's like Kenzo yeah. hires you, like, can you do something to that inspired by this sweater? Yeah, exactly. And you're like, okay, that's I'm like, like let bl- me go deep into that then. And then I make something that I never would have made. And then it just becomes a weird challenge that then I could utilize maybe some things that I learned from that and apply it to something else. Um, so that's, like, super important to me. Um, just to keep making more work, um, it's difficult, but it's really fun. And often it's, like, opening... A restaurant again, or well, a concept this is, again. This is perfect because this gets to. There's so many things I want to talk about that we probably won't even have time. But <laughs> there was a profile on. What did you, you say? It was know. a profile, or did you also write it? Yeah, on the cut. It was a profile. Okay, yeah. so that would be considered a profile. I hope everybody reads it. I don't know how to share a complicated link. Like just Google, Google it, just Google cut, her name on the name. cut. Okay, I thought it was a really great piece, and there's some stuff in there that I really jumped on to for a lot of reasons. One, because I've always been a big fan of the food admission Chinese, mm-hmm. um, but also kind of it, it talks about your story and your beginnings and your career, um, but I'm also a huge horror movie fan, and I'm, <laughs> like, I come from a film background, and so I'm reading about you as a chef at Mission Chinese, and then also about... and I'm. So inter- change this or interrupt me because I'm, I'm paraphrasing from the article I read, uh-huh. but you did something that was kind of a cross between like an art conceptual mm-hmm. 
piece along with food where you made an IV bag of savory soy milk and a cake <laughs> that was bloody or, or kind of mimic like a body and you were using you some styrofoam. You were, amazing, you were making styrofoam molds to make cakes, like human molds. I was just being weird. I, <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait. Yeah, whoa, yeah, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. He loves it. I okay, was like, this is so fucking cool. Like this brings, like it brings together so much that I like, but also to me, it's, it had so many disparate qualities that I have a hard time bringing together in my life where you're a classically trained chef or or a chef that came up kind of through the ranks doing very specific innovative food but not theatrical food. It's not like you have a theater background or a fashion design background and then got into food. And I thought it was so cool because I I myself haven't really made those leaps in my life uh, combined different things that don't necessarily go together yeah. and find a way to make them work. Yeah. And when I read about like the IV and yeah. you described it a little bit more, sure, I was yeah, like, yeah. that is so cool that you can take your talent and your experiences, but also not forget what else interests you. Yeah, because yeah. being a chef is so all-encompassing and you know, to also make time for those other creative outlets. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I just I'd, thought it was cool. I love that you nerded out on oh, that. Super That's nerd. Cool. I read that and I reread it like three times. I'm like, oh, this is like, so cool. Is this is so cool. Because it's like, okay, okay to me, <laughs> it's it's a personal thing that is really cool to me. Yeah. But when yeah. I see off, like right. molecular, <laughs> when I see like molecular gastronomy, some of it's missed on me in yeah. that it's so amazing and yeah. it's nothing that I understand because I don't have a chemistry background and things and I think it's so innovative. But it also what. It misses the mark in that sometimes the, I don't know, maybe the food's not necessarily what I'm looking for in eating, Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't necessarily always bring into something as kind of wild and theatrical as like what, I don't know. It was more relatable to what was described as what you were doing to me. And and, and since you come up with that fundamental background of knowing how to make food Mm -hmm. taste good, that's kind of how you complete the two things because there's a lot of people that can make crazy looking food. Yeah. But it often doesn't taste very good. Sure, but if you can yeah. actually have it, you know, you know how to make it taste good and look fucking mental. Yeah. Then you're really onto something. Yeah, and that's that's where I like to play, um, and that's what I meant by these collaborations. So, really, just doing something specific with somebody, and that's the one. The two events that you're speaking about is um, snacks that I made for um, uh, this uh, retail shop called Planet X. And the, actually, the owner kind of does. It's s- not a comic book store, is it? No, no. Because I, I like remember when I lived in New York, there was, a pla- there was a store called Planet X. It was a comic book store. So, no, unrelated. <laughs> okay. Unrelated. It's new. Okay. So there's actually this DJ that I just became friends with, and I've always known her as a cultural disruptor in New York City. Uh, I never got to go to her parties because I would just work all the time, and we didn't really cross. Which DJ past. are you talking about? Uh, Venus X. Mm-hmm. And she threw these parties, or she throws these parties called Ghetto Gothic. And we finally got to meet in Chinatown at Mission Chinese one afternoon with actually a local DJ, um, Asmara. Um, yeah, yeah, I know her. Yeah, so they were together because um, they, they were hanging out at building out her shop. She was just hanging. And they came to eat at Mission because my friend put us in touch. And we totally bonded on this. Uh, like kind of like queer brown girls in Chinatown running shit yeah. vibe. What's up? Uh, yeah, we're like, <laughs> hey, what's going on? Let's let's hang out. And it, it was funny because I feel like when I meet certain creatives that are really just working all the time and um, meeting people uh, all the time, it's always about what project can we do to get do together. And it wasn't just me hosting. It ended up be 
like I, I got to feed her, but then um, we ended up just uh, like right away talking about how maybe I could do the snacks at her um, concept store opening. And her concept store is working with a lot of like small designers. Uh, you know, she's kind of now kind of in an industry as well where she's uh, blurring boundaries. She's a DJ, but she is really into these small labels. And so she has a small, tiny retail shop in Chinatown. Um, and um, she told me that her shop concept uh, was freaky pharmacy themed. <laughs> <laughs> so that meant, you know, she was really into the, just like the, um, like hospital aesthetics. Sure. And I had these like gas Stainless t- steel. Latex. Yeah, latex, like the Red Cross, white, sterile, but then have these beautiful clothes that really um, contrasted this white box. And so I had just I had just had stuff around that I could just give her that I've been meaning to get rid of, like these gas tanks for our um, <laughs> for our like kegs. It's a flamethrower of the nitrous tanks laying around. Yeah, I like couldn't get our beer distributor to pick them up because we just stopped doing draft, and she wanted them. So we were just talking about how I can like we can just help each other. And then she said that she was interested in having snacks available at her, available at her opening. And um, we just went off on this freaky pharmacy idea. And so, you know, I, it basically was like Halloween food. And one of my favorite recipe books when I was a child right. was called Gross Goodies. And it was Halloween-themed food, like crusty belly buttons or like <laughs> pussy whatever. Just yeah. like disgusting things. Sure. And so I was like, oh, I can activate this. Feel Graveyard like this, worms. Yeah, like just gross. What's the book called? Gross goodies. Gross goodies. You can get it on Amazon. Um, <laughs> I'm giving this it. to every five year old kid plug. I know for the rest of my life. Uh, yeah, it's a good book. Um, good illustrations. Um, so <laughs> I was always into this book, and when she said that, I immediately thought about what weird things I could do and what I could purchase. Mm-hmm. So that meant buying little IV bags, buying a styrofoam. Um, uh, cooler filling with ice and then putting these uh food filled iv bags in there and in the iv bag i wanted to have flesh colored stuff in there so i put um a a soy milk in there with tapioca but made it savory and then you would have to puncture a straw to drink it and then i did like um, a capri sun i'm in like a capri sun yeah i'm sad i missed it it was fun and then i did like um a drink in like what would be like a water cooler like you would see at the hospital but i made it uh, charcoal colored and added like herbal ingredients to it, so it's kind of wellnessy theme. I added mm-hmm. ashwagandha, but then I put <laughs> some like uh, edible cake glitter in it too, so it was iridescent. Um, I made like a, f- a fried rice in a, a biohazard bag, um, <laughs> <laughs> and also had it flesh colored, where it was like, like a garlic butter fried rice. But I made pickled ginger that was like it looked like sheets of skin. And like white poppy seeds. And Dude, this food is keeping the scene alive. <laughs> <laughs> I was just being a weirdo. And then it went really well. And so we ended up doing another one for a more whimsical, uh, what she was calling a dystopian Alice in Wonderland theme, mm-hmm. working with this uh, label that's more couture based and like very Edwardian in a way um, called Lou Dallas. And I'd never heard of their stuff before, but she said, Dystopian Alice in Wonderland, and I just went in with like tea party theme, mm-hmm. um, using Japanese milk bread to make like cucumber tea sandwiches with like a tarragon mayonnaise, mm. with like set in like uh, wheatgrass, so it just looked like we were in a little tea party. And then the cake that you were talking about was this um, really. She asked for a tie dye cake, but I ended up making it look like what I was calling like a more of like a um, a topical map. 
geological map um, where mm-hmm. I swirled in um, bad, like a, a chiffon cake that had three different colors, basically. Chlor- like Again, like uh, healing herbs because we don't think about them as flavor. You think about them as something you throw in a smoothie. So I wanted to right. celebrate the flavors of those. I had one, like a swirl that was um, chlorella, another one that was turmeric, and then another one that was uh, shiso. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. It was fun, and it tasted really good, and it wasn't very sweet, and I made a three-tier silver cake that when you cut into it, it had these beautiful, like, pastel-colored swirls in it, and then put an X made with candy on the outside for Planet X, and it was fun. I don't know. We just, like, got weird with it, and... Andre, are you feeling more inspired to up your tablescaping? No, I just want to hang out with you more, (laughs) basically. (laughs) Um, Do you... And it just from the outside, it just sounds like so much work. Do you feel is, like yeah. doing these things isn't necessarily, it will always be kind of an outlet because it's not sustainable as far as like from an industry career financial standpoint? I mean, yeah. is this the kind of stuff you'll have fun with, but you kind of you need the day job as well or the daily driver? Or, yeah, so being or freelance. Is, that, is yeah. that trying to make that both of those work or do you see them separate or? It's a balance, and they all basically influence each other. Yeah, um, yeah, that, yeah, of course. That's what's cool sure. about it. It's hard. It's definitely difficult because I was doing these kind of collaborations. I mean, the first one I did, I did while I was at Mission, so I would do these things, you know, on my extra time. And mm-hmm. a lot of it was realizing that because I was disenchanted with some of the inspiration I can get specifically when, within the food world. Um, I realize, and I've been think, thinking about my work a lot and like how much stuff I produced last year while at Mission Chinese, and a lot of it was almost a survival mechanism of being creative, like in a really, really basic way. The way that I've just realized this is, I sort of feel like uh, it's the same way that maybe some like a singer will make a sad song during a breakup. Like yeah. I was just <laughs> like trying to figure out how to make things like alive for me, and so on my days off or when I was extremely tired, I'd do these collaborations to keep inspiring me to do more. Um, And then now that I'm freelance, um, I really have to be more self-aware about self-care and like my time and how to create structure in my life. So again, it's this different type of balancing act that um, I can kind of slow down and like really think about the pipeline and try to do things that are money-making or not money-making or think about things that take more time like writing. And Mm -hmm. I'm not a writer, but I would like to really think about how I can edit my own work more. and But I have to make time for that because I'm very social, like inherently from running a restaurant and why I joined the restaurant industry is because I, f- I feel like food is a social activity, creating a space that people can create ideas, creating a space that like is um, very inclusive. Like These are all the things that I think about, so I have to figure out how to do that now in my own time. And so it's a level now of thinking about um, money in a different way, um, but I think it's good because it's caused me to think about the value of my work or the work that other chef creatives do um, needs to be thought about and we need to think about the words that we use when we describe our work so that when we talk about the work that we do, people can instantly associate some type of um, like value in our economic system or in the world. So for example, if I'm doing things with corporate brands or um, art institutions where they, you know, they say they are a nonprofit, but I have to like work with them really closely and saying like, 
yes, you could do that gala and hire a really basic catering company and spend $15,000 and get something that feels soulless. Or you can hire me that has to work, that, who has to work really fucking hard and find a team that I'm happy with that can execute the creative work that I'm doing. Um, but you've got to pay a little extra if you want to make this sustainable for people like us. And that's the work that I'm doing now. I'm thinking right. really critically uh, about these idea, like these theoretical ideas and trying to apply that in my partnerships that I do now. And also then work with like getting these people to know other chef creatives that don't have access to that because I think that the work that I do is extremely interesting. Maybe it's very, really involving their personal, ident- personal identity politics, and that's what, how they create their food. Mm-hmm. And these people might not have the means to run a restaurant. Um, maybe they don't feel included in the restaurant industry. And so it's been good to be freelance because then I think really critically about how I communicate about my work and how I communicate to these institutions about my work. And a lot of it is because I'm trying to create change for where I'm at in my life, but also knowing that if these institutions think about and these brands think about this work as extremely valuable, um, they need to pay for it and they need to pay properly. Um, That's going to give them a really unique experience that is associated with their brands. Um, But they have to think about that value and cough it up if, like, just do it. And it's a challenge, but it's work that I think is really important for um, these people that... Um, it's not even about having a restaurant or not. It's like, if you want something site-specific and experiential, because I think that's how people want to interact with food these days, because food is powerful and that different way of being creative and inspirational, um, people need to think about uh, putting more money into it because a lot of uh, interesting food work can be really exploitative. And Sure. I don't know, and I think about like these types of food that we don't get to see. Like, if we t- think about ethnic foods, it's like people just don't want to pay top dollar for ethnic foods. Maybe they want to pay. Yeah, we talk okay about this with, all the time. Yeah, they want to pay top dollar for like Eurocentric foods because that's you know the premier uh, foods and like what we think about in the world is you know Italian and French and you know now like Danish food, and yeah. it's like um, there's money being poured into that, but then there isn't enough money being poured into the thought that's put into a noodle dish that's Asian versus a pasta dish that's right. Italian. Well, it's also, it, it, it feeds on itself too much because Andy Riker was talking about how Asian food has been fetishized into being so cheap economically. Yeah. Like the idea, this idea of the seven ninety five lunch special is killing <laughs> people's concept of sourcing ingredients for so many foods that they kind of, you know, like deem like, less healthy or kind of, you know, like mm-hmm. a quick meal. Mm-hmm. And it's, to go back to Filipino food, I mean, there's some incredible Filipino and Filipina chefs in L.A. doing a lot of things, but one of their big barriers that they talk about is the price point because traditionally the sourcing of ingredients hasn't been inherently of a high quality for a lot of that food. It's like they'll talk about a lot of boxed and canned foods that go into these dishes. Mm-hmm. And when they're going out to the yeah, farmer's no. markets and, and paying what is a reasonable price at, to source really quality produce, that reflects in their food costs. Right. And But people just can't wrap their heads no, around No cheaper market that. than the Filipino market, I've noticed. Right. right. Just like oh, a yeah. gallon of vinegar for like a dollar. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. And it makes you wonder yeah. what that source is. Yeah, and like what those people that are producing it are being paid and mm-hmm. like yeah. 
Um, yeah, not even yeah, not even food costs. Also, down the line, back yeah. of the house, in front of the house costs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's why I've also been just trying to talk about um, Asian American food in a different way. I, I think, um, you know, in the six years that I was at Mission, it was always really important to me to self-reflect on what type of genre I felt comfortable our food being in and how to talk about it. So right. it changed a lot. Like when I joined the company. Uh, out in San Francisco, they were calling it American Oriental, Americanized Oriental food, and there's with reason they were saying that. Yeah. But then when I joined um, the team and opened up the first New York location, I talked about uh, it feeling just like broadly weird Chinese because I was exploring um, different regional Chinese food because I'd never cooked Asian food professionally before. Um, then I thought about it being Asian American food, and then I was just kind of like very explicitly post-election pissed and wanting to call it New American and reclaiming New American yeah. and say that, um, you know, de-exotifying it because we were doing extreme, we do like, we were doing really extremely creative food in New York City and like all these wild, weird dishes that I, it took me six years to concept are is still on the menu there. You can still get it, a lot of those things. But why don't we just call it New American because we have pizza on the menu that's you know, high grade like like naturally fermented sourdough pizza made with a starter that we got from our friends at Tartine and like buffalo milk mozzarella. Like, this is all really great stuff that should be viewed as American food. To just to why like why have these genres right now? Because then it, we like it just draws up ideas about racism in food and how we have to price our food and you know have to answer questions about why our noodles maybe costed $9 versus $2 on the street, it's like, you got to just pay for it. That's right. what we have to do. And um, these are all ideas that I, I think about a lot. I mean, one huge thing I thought about, actually, the last time I was in L.A., um, I was really impressed with the selections of um, food and the diversity of food at Redondo Beach. And I hadn't been to Redondo mm-hmm. Beach in years. I went to school <laughs> in Pomona for a second and would sometimes go there. And I went on a date with my girlfriend to Redondo Beach. We took a lift out there because we both don't drive. I'm a shitty yeah. New Yorker. Shout out New York. <laughs> shitty New Yorker over here. <laughs> but I like went out there and I was so impressed by the selections. It would there was Chinese restaurants that would ser- would serve hot dogs and fries and beach foods and donuts. And then next door would be a Korean crab shack that served Korean food in the style of the Korean seafood shacks that I would see at the Korean markets in Seoul. Uh, but, you know, serve your crab with rice and you can get these hammers and eat it with dobanjan and or not dobanjan, but like uh, just like their types of hot sauce. It was it was really cool. And then to see and I spent many hours at the old tiki restaurant out there having weird tiki drinks. And that's from the 70s. And I was just really impressed about how how diverse it was. There's like a Mexican stall. I'm like, this is really cool. But then later on that evening, um, Post Beach, want to meet up with a friend from New York who just moved here. She told us to meet her at um, a really nice cocktail bar off Sunset. And I go over there, I'm a little early, and it's Asian-themed. And I walk in, and it's really offensive. It's like, it's basically like a yellow face business. Like this, it looks like a pagoda. Uh, all All the, like, drinks on the menu are basically like ching chong type names i just felt weird and what place is this i don't know what it's called and would it be good luck bar i don't know 
I don't know. But I went there and they just had these tiki, uh, tiki drinks that had a guy with like a very cartoon, like Fu Manchu type guy. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what's going on? And I look around and I feel crazy because everyone in there, there was not a single POC person in there except for me. Right. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, <laughs> I felt so inspired by my experience at Redondo Beach. And then, you know, this, you know, young establishment, which kudos to them for opening up a place that was that successful and craft oriented. But how does it go through all these levels where it's okay for all of these things to happen. Like, don't they have a single buddy that's like, wait, you can't have these, like, Buddhist-themed things in here. Um, and those are things that I was navigating working at. You know, I'm hyper-conscious of it because I was a person, as a Filipino-American, running what was a quote-unquote Chinese restaurant um, and trying to navigate anything that could possibly be offensive. So trying to do things in a highly reverent way. And that's just how I realized I approached the way that I created food or do these like wacky projects is think about the things that I really like and then do them respectfully or do the, maybe wacky or cute, but it's still like paying respect and uh, um, an homage to things that I've seen and that inspire me. And then these kind of things still happen. And what I'm again talking about is this binary and race that like there's, this is just like, where I'm just talking about America. There's white and there's black, and we have sensitivities and awareness of both. But still, like, Asianness is, like, this blurry area that, you know, is still problematic. Like, we, I'm, still things, I'm still seeing things that are problematic well within, the eight, like, my peer group, our, mm-hmm. my, our age range, like, mm-hmm. throughout this, like, period of, like, quote-unquote wokeness. It's like, what's going on? And You're not in Mississippi. You're in Silver Lake. Yeah, so, you know, and I, you know, I'm not talking about these things, so I'm trying to tear these businesses down, but I'm like, maybe think a little bit more deliberately about where you're drawing your influence. You know, like, I, I would ask questions to people that were Buddhist Chinese people when I was trying to pull visual elements for the restaurant. Um, I think it's like just do your homework or at least try. So that's kind of like the things that I think about at my slower pace of being outside the restaurant and then exploring and traveling now where it's like constant waves of lots of inspiration and then like these sudden like screeching halts like what the hell is going yeah. on? <laughs> what is this? And then, you know, explaining that to someone that may be POC, I'm like, I this bar, what the fuck? And they're like, what? That's crazy. But then, you know, realizing, you know, the friend that invited me, like no offense to her, she's not POC, and she was just like, whoa, whoa, I'm really sorry I invited you there. Like, yeah, that's fucked up. And But then, you know, she's paid money to be there, and, I'm, and she's like, what? I, I, don't, I don't understand. And so there's a lot of, you know, work that we have to do still, or it, it's, it's kind of A lot of changes have happened, but the work is not over yet. No, and... But you, you know, could feel it all, you could feel it all changing around us every day. Yeah. At least I do. yeah. So, which is exciting. Yeah, that's super exciting. And I think it's just like for me, like I walked away from that being like, that's ridiculous. And then realizing, okay, maybe when my, when my writing practice, I need to like write about something like this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Throw it so, in the morning journal, girl. Yeah, just, just do Big it. Big journal, <laughs> <laughs> as you might be able to tell. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. Did you have a good time podcasting? 
A very good time. I'm glad <laughs> okay, that good. I did this. Um, I'm glad me you too. Did too. I'm glad you guys just asked me last minute. I'm glad I had time. Yeah, yeah, I just randomly saw that you're in town and had to. I've I've been a fan on the gram. Thanks. So thank you. I'm glad it could all work out. I, I would have been a fan too if I had it. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, anything coming up other than the thing this weekend that you want to give, give a plug? Mm, no, maybe just watch my IG. I usually just. Um, I usually just make announcements there because they kind of happen last minute and they just mm-hmm. stuff pops up. So check it out if you care to. At swimsuit, swimsuit underscore issue. Um, <laughs> That's a, a great name. <laughs> swimsuit son- underscore issue? Yeah, it's a Love Sonic it. Youth song that I really liked. Yeah. Um, anyway. Check me out. Sick. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You could follow me at Them Jeans. Andra has no social media. Not yet. <laughs> um, a lot of people sent in questions, but we didn't we didn't have time to get to them because there's such good content happening right here. But, uh, <laughs> but next episode, we'll answer all, all of your questions. And you can go to thestewpodcast.com for all the other episodes if you want to check them out. Thank you, Angela. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.